Do you know of someone living with depression and anxiety and feel that they cannot thrive? In today's program, you will learn Justin's story and some of the tips that helped him live with depression and thrive. See if some of those tips help you to thrive and live your best life despite all mental health challenges. Hello, friends. Today, our guest is Justin Ellen Hayes. Hi, Justin. How are you? Hi, Dr. Rosine. I'm great. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So Justin is an author, a professor, and a career coach. He's also the president of American Marketing Association, Northeast Ohio. Justin is passionate about helping others navigate their own mental health journey through engaging lectures and workshops. Based on personal experience, after he had a near-death incident that completely changed his outlook on life, Justin is now an advocate for many as they begin their mental illness to wellness journey and get ready to thrive again. And if this is the first time you guys are joining us, my name is Dr. Rosina. I'm an MD psychiatrist, a clinical professor, and an author of a best-selling book, Stress to Joy. And today we are talking about tips for living with depression and anxiety. What is depression? Depression is a mental disorder where not only your mood is depressed, but there's a lot of functioning get, that gets affected because of your problem with concentration and memory and sleep and appetite. And there are many other symptoms that are part of the depressive disorder. And the one main symptom of depression is hopelessness. A person with depression feels like that they cannot make it in life or they cannot be the best they could be but Justin is the proof that you can. Would you like to learn the tips that helped him get over his depression and not only thrive, but also make a difference in so many people's lives? If you would like to get the reminders of these programs and get the gifts that we share in these weekly programs, you can get them by texting JOYFUL to number 38470. All right, so let's hear Justin's story. So Justin, tell us your story. If someone is feeling depressed, why it is important for them to learn all about it and learn the ways to live with depression? What's the alternative? Uh, I look at it this way. It, it's like a car. There's a driver and there's a passenger. The driver could be the depression or the driver could be yourself. Uh, so I, I like to look at it as, for me, before the depression was the driver in the driver's seat, now the person in the driver's seat is myself. That's wonderful, yeah. So tell us a little bit about how your life was before you got diagnosed with depression. Before I was diagnosed with depression, uh, fear was huge, it's hard to, to drive, as the, the analogy just used, <laughs> I would have, uh, hard time getting into the car to drive to go anywhere i was in my room a lot on my phone i was looking at sensationalized newscasts and news that was happening social media updates and i was really the the full definition of depression and it was just very difficult to to live that way mm -hmm. So before when we were talking, you were talking about a high-functioning depression. So how did that term come about? 
yeah, the high functioning depression for me, uh, being able to still operate at, at some level prior to the, the diagnosis, I was doing a lot of activities, but the activities were behind the screen. So I wasn't actually going somewhere. I was behind the screen of my computer. I was writing in my first book. I was putting together case studies. And so I was able to be active in a sense, but I wasn't active socially. And you were not able to enjoy things. Absolutely. I was, I was not. So how did you get diagnosed? So I got diagnosed. I had my nutrition down to two to three hundred calories a day. And that was really the, the key driver. I was having lots of depressive thoughts, lots of what's going to happen to me. What do I do? How do I do it? I was self-diagnosing myself. And with all that, I was not eating. I wasn't taking care of the basic function of my nutrition. And I was on the way uh, with my dad. My dad was driving and I was starting to black out. And I was very scared and felt that I was dying. And so my dad had stopped the car and dialed 911 and the squad came and got me, took me to the emergency room, which was the third visit in two weeks. And while I was at the emergency room, they had given me the option of leaving the emergency room because all my tests were okay or voluntarily admitting myself into one of the the psych wards for an unspecified uh, amount of time to get looked at professionally through someone just like Dr. Rosina, uh, group therapy, individual therapy, medication, the full gamut. And it was at that point that I had to really swallow my pride and I had to accept that I needed help and I was in the best place that I could be for that help. So how long did it take for you to start feeling depressive symptoms and finally getting help? It was many years. I'm 38 years old. I was into my 30s when the the help came and the in the way it did. I'm coming up in in November. It's going to be 3 years since the the, the timing that I was in this hospital diagnosed and, and really took it took my diagnosis and made it into a positive instead of all these things that were bearing down on me, the what ifs and the not driving and being scared and fear was overcoming me and being buried in my room on my phone. Uh, instead of that, I wanted to start thriving. And the only way that I could even start to do that was to accept that I needed help. Yeah. So what was preventing you from seeking help before that? Many reasons. The key, I think, was the, the stigma of getting help, having a mental health issue. What would other people think? What would my family think? What would my fiance at the time and now wife think? What would family members, uh, extended family and, and friends think? And then layer on top of that, the uh, social media and the celebrities and how people sometimes are mistreated and commented against if somebody is battling mental illness. And so there was that. And then on top of it was that I was the male, that I felt that 
society that I couldn't cry out for help, that I couldn't reach out for help at, at all because I was supposed to, I wasn't supposed to cry. I wasn't supposed to, uh, I was supposed to be strong. And I took that really to heart when I look back at things. And mm -hmm. I really had to take everything, all my preconceived notions and learnings and really take all those and turn myself into the person that I was meant to be, not the person that a society had had kind of molded for me. So it took you more than 10 years. It did, it did. It's it closer probably to, to 20 years when I look back at some of the initial symptoms uh, that, that were happening towards that end where I did receive the, the help the symptoms were across the board. Every little thing that I was doing was being impacted from the, the depression. Mm -hmm. Early on, it would be a, a panic attack here or there, being in my room for days and just being on my phone and not really thinking anything of it, uh, that I was really addicted to the blue light and the screen and the what's next. Mm -hmm. So you're describing some of the things about like, you know, fear of driving. That's not usually part of depression. So did you also have anxiety at the same time? I did, which didn't make it any better. I really had the two ends of the spectrum. So I was closing myself in. And then when I was out trying to do something, then the anxiety uh, would kick in because I was inside so much focusing internally that when I did go out, then the anxiety of, oh my gosh, I'm in this situation. What do I do? I haven't been out in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So all this was happening and then you got the treatment and then you got mm -hmm. better and you started doing some other things. How this treatment and self-care that you did has mm -hmm. impacted your life? How are you feeling now? Now I'm feeling great. I don't have the huge downs that I had and that I felt, I still have days that aren't close to perfect or close to what I think they should be, knowing that uh, I don't think anybody has a, a perfect life out there. Uh, but being able to really just take a hold of the things that I want to do and go out and do them. So not only teaching online behind the screen uh, with this pandemic, I'm going to go back into the classroom for the first time uh, since 2017 when I was diagnosed with, with my, my mental illnesses. And so that would be something that I wouldn't even think about prior to the diagnosis, that it was such a huge problem and something that really just overtook my life, that I was so nervous and so inside my room. and. For, for the longest time and, and would barely come out. And the uh, one of the obvious reasons that, or the, I guess the symptoms was I wasn't eating a lot because my mind was going on and on and on and on and on that I wasn't taking the time to go, okay, I need to look at just basic life things, mm -hmm. food, water, clothing, shelter. So that takes us to, to the tips that you were talking about that helped you in addition to getting the treatment with medication and psychotherapy. And it seems like you made a huge uh, leap from where you were with depression and anxiety affecting your life so much to now that you are able to perform at your best and now uh, release your second book. What is it called, your second book? 
The second book is called The House of You Prescription for Living, because I really feel that with these tips that we're going to discuss, that it really is my prescription. It's not just one thing. It's not just a medication that uh, I was put on. It are, there are so many variables outside of just that, that, that really are impacting my life to the better. That's wonderful. Yeah. So can you share some of those tips, lifestyle changes that you made that made a huge difference in your life uh, uh, to, and, and helped you learn to live with uh, the depression and anxiety? Absolutely. The, the first tip and the first thing when I look at um, I, the house of me basically is sleep. And I was not sleeping at all. If if much, maybe a couple of hours a night. And what I learned when I was diagnosed uh, with my mental illnesses that sleep has a huge impact on all the life processes that we have as human beings, from our memories consolidating from the night before, the day before, to our muscles being repaired and just giving us a breath of fresh air and to take us to be able to tackle the, the next day. So I went from basically sleeping very little to a couple hours a night to being able to sleep. What I shoot for is seven to nine hours, what really works for me, some nights more, some nights less. But that's really something that for over 25 years of my life, I had not prioritized. And I'm really glad that I am now. And I think for our viewers, that is something that uh, they could take today and in, implement into their life. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We actually did a whole program on sleep, improving the sleep natural ways, and we can give link to people with this video. So what is your second tip? The second one really goes with uh, tip number one of getting to sleep. But number two is the consistent sleep hygiene. So everything around sleep. So the, the time that you get ready for bed, the clothes that you wear, maybe you brush your teeth and wash your face right before you go to sleep. You sleep in the same room, the same bed, uh, the ambience in the room. All those things really do impact us as human beings that we are very much creatures of habit. And the more things we can make like a structure around sleep really is helpful. So these consistent activities really recognize, give the body the ability to recognize that it's getting closer for sleep. That's wonderful. So what's the tip number three? Three is limiting screen time. And I took a very radical approach, I guess one could call it. I went from having a, a smartphone, iPhone, all the way back to having a flip phone. So I could just That's take my <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it was tough to do, but it was something that I felt that as I was grounding myself with my mental health and taking control of my life as I could, that one of the key things of being holed up in my room on my phone for hours and hours and hours, that was not something that was healthy. So just being able to go back and reset myself. Now, today, I'm back to having my iPhone, but I'm able to set the boundaries around the timing that I, I use 
the phone for email or different apps, things that I would be on for hours and hours. I have carved out time each day to be able to, to look at those things and not miss out, but also not sacrifice uh, my well-being. That's wonderful. So what's the point number four? Number four is limiting sensationalized influences. Real ties back to limiting the screens and number three. Uh, many things that I was finding that were taking my mind away from the, the basics of, of life, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, was news stories, was updates to social media, things that really in the grand scheme of things don't have a huge impact on my life, whether I'm how I'm going to get my next meal or where I'm going to sleep or w what what is going to happen next. I was having these sensationalized influences and they were very much impacting my life. And I was really living kind of this life kind of up in, up in the sky. I, I was all over the place and that was very much not healthy. So kind of going back to limiting the boundaries with those devices and those screens are some of the activities that come from those, those screens, which uh, could be, news stories, especially with the pandemic of how many new cases and what are we going to do next and how are schools going to move forward here in the fall. Wonderful. So tell us your tip number five. Number five is exercise. When I was younger, I took exercising probably to an extreme where I was working out six days a week and was trying to build as much muscle as I could. Uh, not for any particular reason, just for myself, but that has soon fallen from the wayside. Uh, and I went from one extreme of working out six, sometimes seven days a week to being very sedentary and being in my room and days that I would go out of my room, I would go to another room and in the house, I wouldn't be very active and, and getting outside. So exercise, that could be as something as Simple as, you know, walking up and down the steps at your house if you have those. They could be going for a walk in your neighborhood or your complex 20 or 30 minutes a day. Uh, what I found uh, and what some of our viewers may know is the endorphins are chemicals in our body and those help us feel better about ourselves, help us feel good. And cortisol is what helps us unfortunately gain weight and add stress to our lives. And with exercise, exercise increases the endorphins, which are good and reduces the cortisol, which is bad. And so that is something that I really try to take to, to heart that exercise, while it is a physical activity, it is very much related to mental health for me and for anybody that is a human out here. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. We, we did a wellness program with Dr. Sandra Jane, and okay. she told us like, you know, how five of these wellness practices can actually reduce, shown to reduce in research, shown to reduce depression and anxiety by 30 to 40 percent. So wow. you are not on the benefits of exercise for your mental health. But the one concern that I see people mm -hmm. is 
it's very hard to get motivated to exercise even for people who don't have depression and the person mm. with depression their motivation level is so low it's so hard for them to get going and start exercise so how did you overcome that low motivation hurdle i had to basically accept uh, where i was at as an individual as a person both physically and, and mentally and i had to make the decision to move forward or stay the same and that was really what kind of gave me the extra oomph to to want to go forward and and start exercising and start just moving around the house first starting out and then working myself outside and taking a bottle of water so i would feel more comfortable and it it took many months to to get to that point uh, but any little act in that positive direction is something that you'll be able to build on yeah i've seen this relationship of like chicken versus egg like you know you don't know which yeah. one comes first um mm -hmm. but if you if you are depressed and you don't feel exercise then you feel further depressed so once you kind of break yeah. the cycle and push yourself a little bit and get going then your depression also gets better the other thing i've also seen is that Sometimes, you know, depression is this fluctuating illness. So it's not all the time that you're severely depressed. Sometimes you're feeling a little better and sometimes not. So like when you're feeling a little better, you push yourself or when you start mm -hmm. treatment and then your depression is getting better, it's important to start exercising so you can get further better. So that's great. So what's the point number six that helped you? Number six was nutrition. I was close to close to basically not eating. I was eating a couple hundred calories a day prior to the diagnosis, uh, when I was diagnosed in the hospital and to the current time, as I sit here today, I eat three meals a day. I even have a meal replacement drink, uh, ensure that, uh, when I was in the hospital, that was something that was added to my tray for each meal. And that's something to this day that I feel that, if I don't have anything else to eat, which hasn't happened since I was diagnosed, but if for some reason I don't have anything else to eat that day, I will have 400 calories of nutrition, of the protein, of the vitamins and minerals. And so I just recommend that you eat three meals a day. I know with the working from home, a lot of us are doing, we're spending a lot more time at home in our offices in our kitchens in our in our rooms working working for for the job and it's very easy to skip lunch it's very easy to skip that 12 o'clock hour because you're working on one project and you just want to you just want to get that one thing finished and then you get an email and something else pops up so it's very easy to uh, miss the lunch and think you're going to catch up in a dinner but the body just needs consistent fuel to, to run and, and that's something that I, I found. Wonderful. So we also did a program with Dr. Naidu, the nutritional psychiatrist, and talked about how important it is to eat on time and be aware of what we are putting in the body because what you eat can affect your mood drastically. So tell us your tip number seven. Seven is limit alcohol. Prior to my diagnosis, I was very much, I, I would call it maybe an, an abuser of alcohol, uh, the binge drinking. 
And that was something that I learned that was not good for many reasons. Uh, But with somebody like myself that has depression, besides the fact of being on medication, alcohol is a depressant. And I was feeling when I was consuming alcohol that it was increasing my mood and making me feel better. And that wasn't the case. It was actually making me feel further down the the spectrum of, of depression. So I'm not here to tell anybody, nope, you shouldn't drink any alcohol. I'm just giving my advice from where I was at. And I haven't had any alcohol in the three years since my diagnosis. And I don't have any intention really to to going back because of how I am feeling uh, mentally and physically that I I don't have an intention or even the tease of wanting to, to go back. Wonderful. Yeah, alcohol is a depressogenic drug. So it does cause depression and it does mess up your sleep. So it's wonderful that you decided to stay away from, you know, you're, I have seen a lot of people would put the medication in their body to improve the depression and then they put alcohol to make them alcohol. depressed. And so mm-hmm. it kind of kills the effect of the treatment too. Yeah. So tell us what is the eighth tip that you implemented in your life that helped you? Eight was being mindful that this moment doesn't define who I am. And it doesn't define me as a just as a person that I may have moments of the day where things don't go my way. I don't receive an email with a response that I was looking for, or my wife chooses to have something for dinner that I wasn't really in the mood for. Those things are very minor and would consume my mind. Now I look at those moments and saying, you know, this moment is going to pass. If I don't like this meal, I can find something else to eat. If I don't receive that email, I can do other things to be more, just more at ease with who I am instead of what other people may think. And lastly, with this being mindful, number eight, what I found was if I think of my five senses, it really grounds me. So see, hear, feel, smell, and taste. I see the blue sky, I hear the birds singing, I feel the warmth of the sun on my skin, I smell barbecue, I taste sweet. Those things by itself bring me back to grounding and being okay with where I am at and not jumping five years into the future about something that I may be planning with my wife as a family that I need to reel myself in and I need to be physically and and mentally here as much as possible. So that is something that is very helpful for me. Wonderful. And so what's the tip number nine? Nine goes along with number eight a little bit, meditation. I used to think meditation was just something that that wasn't for me, that I didn't have time for it, that I didn't want to look into it further and what the benefits are. But what I have found is by meditating, whether that is just taking five minutes or 10 minutes and turning all the devices, all the screens off and just going back to what do I smell? What do I hear? What do I feel? Those five senses or listening to an app. Uh, I use the the app Calm, but there are many apps out there. Uh, You can listen to nature sounds or you can listen to guided meditations anywhere from, I think some maybe 
a minute or five minutes all the way up to, I think some may be an hour or more. And you have a choice for any type of person you are. Do you want something short today, maybe a little longer tomorrow? And you want nature sounds today and you want guided meditation tomorrow? That is something that I've just found that is is very helpful. And I even found that I like uh, classical music that mm. listen to an or- orchestra and yeah. the old old fashioned music really is something I never would have looked into before, but I, I feel more at ease. Yeah, there's more and more research showing mindfulness and meditations benefit in depression. Um, so mm. what's the tip number 10? Tip number 10 is your professional care and consultation, your psychiatrist and psychotherapy. What I failed to do was to reach out to the professionals into mental health. And part of that was the stigma, not wanting to be labeled a person with a mental illness. And also on top of that, I was using my family physician, my general physician, as a pseudo psychiatrist when they have uh, different training. Dr. Rosina has different training from uh, a general physician and I was utilizing or trying to utilize the family physician uh, as much as I could for what was wrong with me. I'm having all these depressive thoughts and then I'm switching over to the anxiety and what's going on with me. And I was reaching out to the general physician versus the professionals. And what my psychiatrist has told me at the very beginning, if if you talk to a generalist for anything, you're going to get generalist results. And if you talk with a specialist, you're going to get specialist results. And I couldn't be more happy with where I am at now. And I look back at when I was diagnosed with my mental illnesses and those are probably some of the, looking back, probably some of the better days because I was able to really find out who I was. I was able to take a deep breath and know that it wasn't just me on the team. It was myself and it was all the individuals at the therapy. It's all the psychiatrists uh, day to day. There were different ones at the hospital and different therapists. And when I look at things now in a much bigger lens and more focused and diverse, I feel much better because I'm not at it alone. I have other people I can reach out to if I need to. That's wonderful. So what do you have a take home message for our audience today? My take home message is if you feel that you are in that depressive state of mind to reach out for help, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel that Uh, you're letting anybody down. The only person that knows how you're feeling is you. And then on the backside of that is you can succeed and you can do things with mental illnesses. You can write a book, you can teach a class, you can do the job of your dreams and what you want to do. So uh, yeah, that's great. If people take action in the early stages, there's so much of the suffering that could be prevented. And so I just want to share with people that if you want to get Justin's 10 tips for living with depression, you can get them by downloading or by texting 38470 
and we would be able to give you the link where you can download these things. And these, the purpose of these programs is to bring health and happiness to more than a million people. So if you know somebody who can benefit from these programs, please share. We do these programs every Saturday at 11 o'clock Pacific time. So do join us. And till then, stay safe and healthy. Take care.